Hi, this is Eli Nelson, and this is the My City Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. It is our prayer that this message will awaken you to come alive in the things of Christ. Enjoy the message. today? Come on. It is hard not to be joyful with the weather feeling like it does right now. Praise God. I, I'm ready for a little bit of like 65. See, when I can get into hoodie weather, I get a little bit, feel a little bit better about my gut. Praise God for some pumpkin spice latte some Husker football. I'm ready for it. Are you ready for it? Moving on from that, are you ready for the word today? I am honored to be able to deliver the word this morning to you guys. If you don't know who I am, my name is Danny. I'm the creative pastor here at My City alongside my beautiful wife, Hannah. We, yeah, cheer for her. She's way better than I am. We have the opportunity to serve alongside and lead some of the best teams, worship, production, communication, so many more. Uh, But I want to take a moment and just celebrate a couple people before we move on. The first one being Genesis. Everybody give it up for Genesis. Here's the thing about Genesis. We're celebrating you. Get over it. Genesis truly carries an and what else in her spirit. You you don't stop at what's been asked of you. You don't stop at the bare minimum. You ask consistently, and what else can I do? How else can I serve? How else can I lead? Where else can we take the kingdom of God? And she pays, Genesis, you pay attention to the details unlike anyone I've ever met. For that, you deserve to be praised. You deserve to be celebrated. God is proud of you. We love you, Genesis. The other person I want to celebrate this morning is Spear Fingers back here, Chris Johnson. Chris, I just want you to know that, like, you are truly inspiring to me. Like, thank you for saying yes. Always, I feel like you've MD'd for, like, the last six months in a row. And I just, just thank you. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for being available. You're inspiring to me and I know so many other people on our team. And your amazing wife, Catherine. Catherine, are you in the room? Is she? She's in kids right now. Well, if you see Catherine, tell her thank you. It, our little girl, London, is a pistol. And she loves Catherine. Just her, it just speaks to her heart and how much she loves kiddos. Can we give a big round of applause for Chris and Catherine one more time? Come on. Hey, I'm excited to continue in this series with you guys. We'll sit down in just a minute. But wanted to uh, give you a little recap. Pastor Tyler kicked off the series a couple weeks ago with his message, Purpose Runs Together. When purpose runs together, we, does anybody remember one? We get a workout partner. I think I heard uh, Matt say we get high. No, Matt, it was we go higher. Typical youth director. Just kidding. And then Kelsey preached her heart out last Sunday. Pay me what you owe me. Channeled her inner Rihanna. 
and preached the lights out on unforgiveness. Like, so good. She can preach. Amen. I'm excited to continue this this morning, and we're going to have a conversation around the thought, becoming Jonathan, becoming Jonathan. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for My City Church and every single person here in the building today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak, uh, that it wouldn't just be my clever words, but God, that it would be your spoken word the word that you have ordained for this church, for these people at this moment. Holy Spirit, we pray that uh, marriages would get better today because of what we discuss. God, that relationships would flourish in the house today because of what we discuss. God, I pray that uh, for any relationship that's on the rocks, whether it's a marriage or a friendship, God, I pray that your healing touch would rest on us this morning. God, I declare there's a spirit of salvation in the house and that your power is gonna move. And all God's people said... Amen, amen. You can be seated on the way down. Look at your neighbor and tell him, this word's for you. Now look at your other neighbor, the one you neglected. Say, I guess you too. I guess you too. It's going to be a great word in the house. Chris, you're amazing. Thank you so much. But I was thinking about this uh, this week, and to be honest with you, I hate people that can fall asleep right away. Is that you? Can you, like, fall asleep right away? Get out of here. This message isn't for you today. I, no, I, I genuinely find it annoying and frustrating just purely because I am fully incapable of falling asleep right away. I know a couple people in my life. I have one friend that literally can sleep just about anywhere. If it was uh, this front row, music as loud as it possibly can be, the guy can just put his head on his shoulder and fall asleep right away. We, there was one moment we were literally in the courtroom of a hotel and, uh, or the courtyard of a hotel, and uh, super uncomfortable chairs, we're all being really loud, there's probably like 20 of us, I turn around and he's passed out right there, just unreal, and I'm blown away by it because I can't do it. My wife is also one of those people. Now, I haven't caught her falling asleep in weird places, but what happens is she goes, okay, I'm going to bed, and literally 30 seconds later, she falls asleep. And then she has the audacity to look at me and go, just shut your eyes. And I'm like, lady, I've tried this, okay? I have tried everything. She goes, stop moving. I go, it doesn't matter if I'm moving or not. I've tried everything. I've read books. I, I've, I've literally read articles on how the Navy SEALs can fall asleep just about wherever. I've tried it. It doesn't work. See, what happens is I go through my normal bedtime routine, which is around midnight, which probably isn't the play, right? Like, I should go to bed sooner. But around midnight, I'll, I'll have my phone out, and one of two things either happens. I'm scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, insert mind killer here, scrolling through it, and I start to fall asleep, and then I drop my phone, and it hits me on the face, and then I'm up for another hour and a half. Or I put my phone down, I get all situated, I get comfortable, I have a pillow that I hold, and then a pillow that I lay on, I get the pillow all situated right, I lay down, close my eyes, trying to fall asleep, and then my brain goes, now it's time to think about every little thing that you've ever done that was absolutely stupid. Let's go. So I lay there, and then my mind races, and I can't fall asleep, so I usually just pick up my phone until I go through that first step of scrolling until it falls on my face. 
But the other night, uh, specifically this happened, and to give you some context, earlier in the day, what had happened was uh, London, our three-year-old, woke up from her nap, and then she came downstairs, uh, and she said something super specific to me, so I knew it was on her mind from the moment that she woke up. And we have kids that live on either side of us. And so she's been playing with the neighbor boys a lot. But London likes to do really whatever she wants, whenever she wants. Pray for us. But uh, we often find her, if we can't find her outside or in the house, she's in the neighbor's backyard playing with their toys without permission. And so we're trying to teach her that if you want to go over to your friend's house, you either have to knock on the door and ask if they can play, or you have to wait till they invite you over. Well, she, she wakes up from her nap, literally walks downstairs, and when she goes to sleep like me, so she doesn't go to sleep easily, but she wakes up like Hannah, don't look at me, don't talk to me, don't breathe, okay? And so, so this moment, though, was a little different, because she, like, woke up, she was, like, all wide-eyed, sat on the couch, looks over to me and goes, I can't go over to their house yet, they have to invite me. And in that moment, I think, like, wow, she actually listens to me. She's not a little terrorist that ignores every word that I say. Like, praise God. But then that same thought came up when I was laying in bed later that night. And rather than me logically being able to handle that thought, I uh, allowed my intrusive thoughts to win. And we went down the rabbit hole of what if London grows up and she never has any friends and she's rejected for the rest of her life and and then, uh, then she ends up living under a bridge as a troll or in some random house with 10,000 cats, and it's all my fault. And I laid on that thought for hours on end until I finally, I think, exhausted myself enough. See, I also would, like, when I was little, I would uh, lay in bed, and I would not be able to fall asleep because I'd be thinking about all the people in Australia that are living their lives and all of the stuff that I'm missing out on. I need to go to therapy. That's, we're just gonna move on because we all know that. But I'm sitting with this thought and I wake up the next day and I'm still thinking about it. Uh, and rather than having the intr intrusive thoughts when I have a little bit more common sense, a little bit more logic in me, I'm a little more awake. And I think about how uh, the world, school, even the church, what we do is we focus a lot on finding Mr. Right. We focus a lot on making sure that you find the right people to have in your world rather than becoming the right person. And my thought when I was thinking about this with London was I would rather shape London into the friend that I want her to be rather than focus on the people that are around her. Because if I worry about London being the right person, I know that the right people will come into her life. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, is not necessarily what qualities should Mr. or Mrs. Wright have, what qualities should a good friend have, what should you look for in a good friend, but what qualities can we take on, what qualities can we accept, what qualities can we build into our lives to become that good friend. See, because what I found is that we first have to look inward before we look outward. If we want to have good friends, we have to first focus on being a good friend. Amen? And so we're going to dive, obviously we titled this Becoming Jonathan. And so we're going to dive into the story of Jonathan and his life. We're going to look at his 
friendship, his brotherhood with David. We're going to look at qualities that Jonathan has, and we're going to take those and then apply those to our lives, whether it's in our relationships, whether it's in our friendships, whether it's in our marriage, or whatever that may be. Because I believe that when we focus on becoming the right person, God will bring the right people around us. Amen? Amen. So we are going to start here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. Now, to give you a little bit of context before we read this, what's happened is, does everybody know the story of David? Everybody knows King David. So David uh, was a shepherd boy who was anointed king. He, but right before this scripture, he actually goes into a battle accidentally, technically, accidentally, and ends up killing Goliath. He ends up killing the giant of Goliath. And this is where we pick up right after that had happened. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Verse 4, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, I want us to understand kind of the full context of what's going on. Back then, war was always there was always a war going on. And to be quite honest with you, I don't think things have changed. We've gone from uh, Afghanistan and Iraq now into Ukraine. Like, things have not really changed. There's always some context of war happening right here. And so what we find, though, is that uh, David, like I said, accidentally shows up and then has a heroic act. So in the context of everything that's going on, war is a regular thing. He kills Goliath. He is a hero in that moment. It was a great service, obviously, to King Saul at the time and the Israelite army. Um, but what he should have received here was probably just a medal, was probably just some sort of commendation. What he received, though, from Jonathan was completely out of pocket. Because if you could throw that verse back up really quick, verse 4, he gave him his robe, his tunic, his sword, bow, and his belt. See, Jonathan didn't just give David a shirt. He didn't just say, here, homie, here's my shirt. He gave him his robe. He gave him his tunic. He gave him his weapons. What Jonathan is actually sharing with David in this moment is more than clothing items and weapons. It's authority, sonship, and his place in the palace. Basically, what Jonathan says here is, David, I know I just met you. David, I know I just met you, but you are my peer. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. And it doesn't matter the status that I hold. You are now my peer. See, what I've found is that a good friend, they tend to love without reason or restraint. Because there was zero reason that Jonathan should have made a covenant with David. There were a ton of heroic people in the Israelite army. And you can make the claim that the favor of God was upon David, but I think Jonathan was a good friend. He saw a man that needed a friend and said, you know what? I have zero reason to love you the way that I'm going to love you, but I'm going to anyway. And he didn't just stop at his robe. He gave him his tunic. He gave him his belt. He gave him his sword. That's restraint-free to me. David didn't go, hey, I killed Goliath. Now give me something. 
David goes, I did something for God. I expect nothing in return. And Jonathan goes, that's somebody I want to tie my life to. So he gave to him without reason and without restraint. And man, Trey, if I'm being honest, this sounds a whole lot like the church to me. Could you imagine if we, if we as a church, or let's take, it a step, let's take it a step back, could you imagine in your marriage, if you decided to love your spouse without reason or restraint, yeah, but he hasn't done the dishwasher for like four days in a row, I'm gonna love without reason or restraint. Yeah, but she hasn't paid attention to me once. I'm gonna love without reason or restraint. Could you imagine how healthy your marriage would be? Could you imagine how healthy your friendships would be if your friend that just moved for the 10,000th time said, hey bro, I need help one more time and you're the only person I know that's got a truck? Could you imagine what this house would look like if we decided to love without reason or restraint? I think it'd look a lot like the church in Acts. Acts 4, it says right here that there were no, there, that there were no needy persons among them. See, what I've found is that this church lives with open hands. Uh, open hands is what we're called to live with, that this is not my own, but God, everything you've given me is yours. So if you put somebody in my life that needs it, I'm gonna give it because you've called me to be a good steward. You've called me to be a good friend. You've called me to live with open hands. And can I just tell you this morning that I am thankful that my city church is a generous church. Come on, anybody else thankful this morning that the people in this house give without restraint, Time, talent, resources. If you're thankful to be in a generous house this morning, can you lift up a shout of praise? Come on. The second thing that we learn from the life of Jonathan is that a good friend is a constant faith-filled encourager. Is a constant faith-filled encourager. Encourager, First Samuel chapter 23. Now I wanna give you a little setup here. Uh, this is a lot of time has passed between what we had just read and where we are at now. See, Saul gets jealous of David and decides that he wants to now kill David in fear of him losing his seat on the throne. And because Saul is jealous of David and wants to kill him, David then goes on the run. And there's this whole backstory that I encourage you to read in uh, chapter 20 where Jonathan actually gets David out of town. Jonathan is the one that helps David run away from his father. That's a good friend right there because that's not only is that treason, but that's going against your own family. I believe that's a good friend. Read that in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20. But now we see David on the run. And there's this city called Kilea that is actually under enemy occupation. So this city is under enemy occupation and David and his men that are with him go and then free the town. But Saul gets wind of this. Saul gets wind of what David and his men are doing and then uh, comes for him at that city. You think that David would be safe in a city that he just saved. But David then goes back on the run. Talk about discouragement. He, th he did something that he thought God had asked him to, and it did not pan out the way that he thought. Now he's back on the run in the wilderness, and we pick up here where uh, Jonathan goes out of his way to find David. It says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Verse 17 says, do not be afraid, he said, 
My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and then Jonathan went home. That's a constant, faith-filled encourager. See, I think what, what I found is that when we decide whether or not the situation is beneficial to us when we decide to go against the grain and meet our friends where they're at and encourage them and lift them up, we find encouragement for ourselves as well. See, like I said, David was on the run. Jonathan shows up, and I'm sure that David or Jonathan's presence gives David a little bit of comfort, but Jonathan had an ulterior motive. He wasn't there to just comfort David. He was there to remind David of the call that was on his life. Because a good friend reminds you of what God has for you when you've seemed to forgotten. And I can just imagine this conversation. We get the cliff notes. We get the cliff notes in the Bible, but I know what these conversations are like because I've been on the back, I've been on both sides of them. I've been the one that's needed encouragement and I've been the one that's given the encouragement. And I can just imagine how this conversation's going. I can see Jonathan going, David, don't you remember? When you were on the backside of the mountain and the lion and the bear came against you and God had delivered him. And I could see David going, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going, no, 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 David, I don't think you get this. Don't you remember when you were in the field with the Philistine army and the giant of Goliath was standing against you and not only did you kill him, but God had delivered his hand into your head. And David's going, okay, yeah, I, I get it because that's how those conversations go, right? Like the friend is like, yeah, I know, I know. But I see Jonathan keep pushing. Jonathan's going, David, no, I don't think you remember when you were just being faithful on the backside of the mountain and you came in one day and saw your brothers in a line and the prophet Samuel there and he anointed you king over Israel. Do you believe that that was God or do you believe that that was coincidence? And I don't care what you believe because if you got no faith within you, you can borrow mine. You can lean on me. That's the type of a constant faith-filled encourager that we need in our life. Come on. And I'll take the worship team back up here in just a moment. See, through Jonathan, we get a clear picture of what a good friend is. One who loves without reason or restraint. One who is a constant faith-filled encourager and one who makes people better than when they found them. I think if we decided as a room to not just add value to people's lives or have friends for what they can give me, but if we decided that, hey, I'm gonna be friends with somebody because I know I have value to add to their life, we would see all of us not only leveling up in our businesses, not only leveling up as parents, not only leveling up as musicians or entrepreneurs, but we would see us go deeper in the cause for Christ. We would see us going deeper in relationship with Jesus. And we see uh, this uh, in 2 Samuel chapter nine. This is really what's, what's happened with uh, David and Jonathan. See, at this point, Dave, uh, Jonathan has died. At this point, Jonathan has died in battle along with his father, Saul, so David has been installed and coronated as the next king. David, as king of Israel, his first act, one of the first things we see him doing is this in uh, chapter nine, verse one through seven. It says, David asked 
is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, go back really quick. I didn't read that. There was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, uh, King said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul whom I can show kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Emil in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil, when Mephibosheth, nice, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that has belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Leave this verse up there for me. See, it's clear that the friendship of Jonathan has rubbed off on David. And David is now the king that he was designed to be because we know that when purpose runs together, we go higher. Because of who Jonathan was in David's life, David now became the king that God has called him to. We're called to make people better than we leave them. And we know that maybe every friendship may not be for forever, but I almost cussed. We know that every friendship may not be for forever, but I will be, uh, almost did it again. I, I choose to leave my friends better than I found them. And I can, we can clearly see that, that Jonathan had left David better than he found them. And as we stand to our feet this morning, I want to give you guys a secondary title. Because as, as, we were, as I was planning this, as I was preparing, as I was praying through this, what I felt in my spirit was I do want to become Jonathan. I want to be a friend like Jonathan. I want to be loyal like Jonathan. I want to love without reason or restraint like Jonathan. I want to be a constant faith-filled encourager like Jonathan. I want to leave people better than I found them like Jonathan. But in my heart of hearts, I have no desire to become Jonathan. But I do have every desire to copy Christ. And every single one of these qualities is not just a quality of Jonathan's, but it's a quality of our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was the first one to love without reason or restraint. You did not deserve him to die on the cross for you. You did not ask him to, but without reason or restraint, he did. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the constant faith-filled encourager, the, bro- the friend that sticks closer than a brother, who maybe when you've ran off, when you have gone astray, he stayed loyal to you even when you haven't deserved it. And Jesus is the one who leaves you better than he found you. You want the proof? Throw that verse back up for me. Verse 7. It says, don't be afraid. David, David said to him, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land. Restore to you all the land that belonged to your father. So I'll leave this up for me for a minute. See, when I read this story, I don't see Mephizosheth whatever his name is. I see Danny, because I was crippled by sin. 
because I was crippled by shame, because I was crippled by guilt, because I was crippled, because I was stripped of my inheritance. Come on, are you excited this morning? Because I was taken from the palace, because I was taken, and not for Jonathan's sake, but for Christ's sake, I was restored of my inheritance. For Christ's sake, I was brought back to the table. For Christ's sake, I was given my place back in the palace. Catch this. You know what happens when you sit at a table? I don't know if they're ready, Clyde. You know what happens when you sit at a table? The person across from you can only see chest up. Christ has restored your place at the table and covered your sins forever. So you no longer have to walk worrying about how you were crippled, no longer have to walk worrying about your disability because your place at the table has been restored. Your inheritance in heaven has been restored. Your favor with God has been restored because God no longer sees where you were, but because of Christ's sake, because of Jonathan's sake, he now has restored your inheritance. Come on, lift up a shout of praise if you believe that this morning. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If this message encouraged you, help us get the word out. Consider sharing it with a friend, rating, or subscribing. If you want to know more about our church, check out our website at mycitychurch.cc or our Instagram at mycitycentral. We look forward to sharing another encouraging word with you next week. God bless.